Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Krakoa isn't the only thing evolving. As a matter of fact, the Mojoverse is evolving at the speed of TV. That makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survived this experience. Unlike Sophia Windancer, can we get an F in the chat to pay some respects? Uh. So now, of course, if we're talking Mojoverse, nobody is as famous in the Mojoverse as Longshot or Shatterstar or, of course, the queen of all things Mojo TV, one Miss Allison Blair Dazzler herself. And if Dazzler had a personal manager, somebody making sure she was represented on the waves of the Mojoverse the way she should be, there is no question in my mind it would be this guy. Everybody, please welcome back to the show, Nathan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you for having me back on. Dude, we've had such a great time having you. And, you know, when I schedule these things out, we don't exactly know what's going to be on the inside of the book because the way the comic process works, to remind everybody, is the cover is usually designed about three to four months before the book is finished. So frequently, what goes in the cover, especially when you factor in Joey Q, that would be Joe Quesada, former editor-in-chief of Marvel's, no spoilers on the cover policy, meaning that the cover can only tangentially relate to the interiors. You never know what you're going to get. So even though I have an idea of what's going to be in each episode when I plan it, I can't know exactly what's going to be the content of the episode. So it's just fortuitous magic that we have Nathan, a Dazzler super fan here, to cover an episode that spends an awful lot of time in the Mojoverse. So I started thinking to myself, X-Men has evolved so much in the last year, and so is the Mojoverse, and I wonder if those two things are going to bleed back on one another. As a matter of fact, I kind of imagined for a second, what if the X-Men decided to start their own Krakoan TV station, KRKX? And, you know, if I were made network president, it would be kind of difficult, because, I mean, first thing, you know, We've even joked about it. I would give Lasuna her own nighttime talk show like she had in X-Force Ecstatics. But it would be really tricky. I think I would want to see, like, reality dating shows. Like, you know, constant rebirth cycles. And, you know, do you date this lifetime? Oh, nope, I'm going to come back with better wings. And then Warren tries again. You know, something ridiculous like that to utilize the format. Of course, the other thing I wouldn't hate is I would love, like, a mutant Melrose place. Real soapy. Real tropey real over the top think about the number of body snatches and back from the deads you could have on that thing so what about you guys if you guys were president of krkx tv what would you guys want to see make it on the air i want a cooking show starring glob herman and guest starring the bartenders from the green lagoon blob and annalee where they provide the recipes for the cocktails at the end of the episode so you're looking for kind of like a Tyler Florence with a little bit of Wells Adams in there. Okay, okay. I'm into this show. Real hot. I was more thinking uh, Ina Garden. Oh. Ooh, okay, she's so my favorite. I went, I went real gay <laughs> and real hot, and you went real cooking. So that's, that's some choices. <laughs> Although Blob would probably be great at like giving out relationship advice too, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
you know, just like, I think you should stay together. <laughs> is, that sandwich? <laughs> is that what you think his voice is? Is that not just like universe? Like I'm blob. <laughs> like, is that not universally like what everybody thinks he sounds like? Oh my God. We're talking about blob and not glob. I was like, this is a hit on glob Herman. <laughs> oh no, this has been my blob impression. I imagine Glob is like, hey guys, I'm Glob. Like, yeah, that is totally. sounds, that's accurate. So specifically like very Seth Rogen you know what I mean? Very like very friendly, but kind of fratty, but kind of like, oh. Okay, so that's the greatest misunderstanding ever. But so Maddie, now I gotta know, what would you program onto KRKX? I think I've got a couple. I is anybody familiar with the Eric Andre show? Yes. Oh, you have shown me enough clips of that to be scarred forever. Right, fantastic. So I want a surrealist talk show starring Copycat in the Eric Andre role and Mimic in the Hannibal Burris role. And I want them to just slowly antagonize all of their guests. Like Mimic in the background just like spouting off the powers of the original five X-Men just like a, like a manic fit. And I want Copycat to slowly like morph into the guest as they're talking until the guest is like completely aware of what's happening. Um, so that's my weird stoner humor. But otherwise, I want to see, is anybody familiar with Terrace House? Terrace House is a Japanese big brother, but it's the most slow-moving thing in the world. And it's secretly watched by a panel of 40-somethings that you constantly forget about. And the age disparities between them are of like six years on different ends, like the actual contestants. And it's super weird. And I want it to be the psychics on Krakoa in a big brother, but they would never communicate verbally. <laughs> so you just watch a silent big brother until suddenly there's just an explosion of like sci-fi and you never just never get any resolve. And then suddenly it cuts to the quiet council and they're like, well, this is what we think is happening. And you're like, oh my God, where do they come from? <laughs> you spend two thirds of the episode not being sure why your captions won't turn on. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly that. I just kind of imagine like Sage in a very Liz Lemon role in the background of all of these scenes going, it's falling apart in my hands. So Liz Lemon, oh my God. <laughs> I have two answers because in typical Jonah fashion, I can never just choose one, hence my dating life. <laughs> hey MTV Cribs. But like the different locations on Krakoa, it'd be like, come on and check out my house. And then it's, I want it to be the most terrible, trashy, funniest thing you could think of of going into everybody's room on their different locations i desperately need iliana to be like this is where the magic happens <laughs> i would love i would love a tour of limbo but my second answer would be an office slash parks and rec style show of the quiet council of just following them trying to do things <laughs> and I just need them to constantly pan to the camera, a la Ben Wyatt slash Jim, and the crazy shenanigans that goes on with the Quiet Council. Obviously, Exodus is the Dwight Schrute. Yeah. I have oh to God. know, though, who is the Leslie Nope? Gene. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess kind of. You can't keep her down. She pushes bums out of slides with a broom all sorts of things that are very gene about leslie nope magneto is very clearly ron swanson Ooh. oh i love it so much so nathan nathan guesto hours who would you want to see appear on krkx and yes 
you can have multiple. This way you can have your freebie Dazzler hosting a music show. Like, you know, something like Solid Gold, right? <laughs> something real Solid Gold. Like Dazzle Jazz. It'll be great. Right. No, yeah, well, I mean, of course, I got to have Dazzler in there, right? I was actually thinking more for Dazzler. Like, uh, have you ever guys seen First Look, right? You know how they do, they go around and they like just show different things in different cities. So I'd love to see like a First Look where Dazzler's going around trying these new things in Krakoa. Uh, you know, like maybe one day she's hanging out at the Green Lagoon. Maybe the next day she's hanging out in the sextant or whatever, you know, just like showing different things around. Wait, do you mean first look like Marie? Hi, I'm Maria Menounos and this is first look cinema before your movie. Go buy some popcorn. Here's a diet coke. You said Maria Menounos. I thought of Daisy Fuentes. Don't ask why. They go around to showing different like. Like, so they'll take a city and they'll say, hey, this is, you can do this. Like, you can go to Jumbo Carnation's clothing factory and kind of stuff like that. But then the other show I'd want to do is a Lila Cheney Variety Hour. And, like, everything has costumes by Jumbo Carnation. And they're very, like, Bob Mackie, like, share show kind of thing. Oh, I'm, I, as I am looking at my share show Barbie, I am very about that life. That that's obviously amazing. Uh, also, I would need a Gong Show esque show. Oh, wait, what about like a real like mutant wipes of Krakoa kind of thing too? Like where you have like Jean and Maddie. Like Maddie obviously would be the villain of the season. Perfect. She's just running in like Lisa Rinna with the big old plumped up lips. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. I want a queer eye for the straight guy with mutants. <gasps> oh my it's god! Like, yes. So you just been resurrected. Let's give you a brand new look. <laughs> I'm surprised nobody thought of a Project Runway-style show with Jumbo Carnation as one of the judges. Yeah, but Jumbo Carnation's, like, the only one that can so. <laughs> Well, you never, you never know. He could... It would be like the new one on Netflix, so Storm would be your Naomi Campbell, and Emma would be your Project Runway lady. Heidi Klum. <laughs> I, am, I am the token straight. Well, and, you know, now I can't stop thinking of other shows. I would want to see Mutant Law and Order just so I could see Logan and Quentin Choir as the cops. And, you know, Quentin would constantly make Logan hear da-dong-dong against his will in his head 24-7. He'd keep him up at night with the da-dong-dong. Everybody knows what I'm doing, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. From yeah. Law and Order, Yeah, right? Yeah, so, these are their stories. <laughs> these are their stories. And then... I can only imagine who would the law team be on Mutant Law and Order. Expector Investigations. Would have- <laughs> how are? The, but how? Well, but who would be the courtroom hat? Beast. No, Beast no. gets to make no decisions regarding anybody's safety ever no. again. The entirety of the internet is like, I'm pretty sure Beast is about to become Dark Beast, and. You know, with the number of times O5 members have become evil, like, that's such a such a trope at this point. Jean was Dark Phoenix. Cyclops is always, like, 2% about to kill everybody. Archangel has man pain. <laughs> and with Dark Beast going to be Dark Beast, I'm like, okay. I just, you can't make Iceman evil at this point. Ooh, uh, some kind of Iceman and Kate, Will and Grace. Yes, oh my gosh. Ooh. I also think if you get Logan just drunk enough, he would host the match game. <gasps> oh, that's it. Mutant match game. Having seen multiple tapings of the show live, that is the greatest answer. That Okay, so X Factor, there's nothing left to say. And now to tune in over to X Factor number three, written by Leah Williams with artist David Baldione, color artist Israel Silva, letterer VCs Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Muller, and cover art by Ivan Shavrin.
Fresh from the battle pits, X-Factor appear on Spiral's Headshot TV program to find further answers regarding the bloodied ballet shoes that wound up on the steps of the Boneyard. Prodigy gets the ultimate surprise in learning that the dead mutant in question is none other than his former New Mutants teammate, Sofia Montega, Wind Dancer, having allowed herself to be killed on camera to bolster her ratings. With the help of a very successful, albeit enslaved, Shatterstar, the team managed to steal Sophia's body away before her livestream autopsy. Plus, Dokken and Aurora spent some time around the house together. And that was my absolute favorite part of this issue. It is a credit to the marriage of Baldeon's art and Leah Williams' writing. That entire exchange. Do you know what Pokemon are? The whole physically perfect bit, calling Amazing Baby Stinky Butt. There's such a humanity to Dokken in this exchange, and I think it really, coming out of the last issue, his his little jab to North Star that he was going to go make it with his homebody shut-in sister, this was a complete 180 from that in a way that took me off guard in an emotionally honest way. I could hear the beat of the sigh in the art. There was something sonically potent about that page. And I found myself once again asking how X-Factor is this book in this market, you know? And I even had kind of a weird thought. I was like, what if X-Factor is a little bit like, you know, building on tropes of classic X-teams? Because then it kind of is the Brotherhood maybe a little bit where... Lorna represents Magneto. You have the Bobier twins standing in for the Maximoff twins. You've got Dokken, who is physically immense like Blob. You have Rachel would be like Mastermind because she's psychic. iBoy is just kind of gross, so he's kind of like Toad. I kind of can't help Prodigy out too much, but, you know, you do what you can. It was the early brotherhood. You know, I try and think about what this team could be, and... The things this book is meant to represent, and I keep coming back to this one sentence that just, it keeps getting stuck in my mind. It's as if this book exists to rectify and reconcile decades of continuity at odds with itself. I love the idea that characters can develop, but one of the things you wind up with is my iteration versus your iteration. And... To that end, people often forget that Wolverine is as much a ronin as he is a cowboy, as he is a World War II era soldier who can't come home kind of figure. He's also a mutant figure, and he plays into the Weapon X kind of I'm a monster tropes of science experiment runs off into the wilderness. Logan can represent so many things, and we accept that because he's Logan. One of the things I love about X-Factor is it's as if X-Factor is seeking to make that true of everyone in the book. Now, Dokken is a character who has been shown to be as evil as they come, like quite truly, just like a homicidal murderer. And now we're getting emotional honesty from him, but it's not in a way where it's like, I had a hard life, see, that's why I'm a killer. No, Dokken is still a killer. This Dokken is still a homicidal maniac, but he's learning how to be a homicidal maniac that can coexist with other people. Too frequently, narratives along the lines of X-Factor seek to erase the damage from characters' pasts by having them move forward through a catharsis. Instead, X-Factor seems to seek to create room for both to exist. Sophia allowing herself to be... I mean, I just said in the last episode, I can't wait for Sophia to show up in some book somewhere. And then here she is allowing herself to be murdered on air for ratings. Do I think that 
undermines the reality of the Sophia I loved in New X-Men Academy X? No, because I don't think Dokken, looking for a moment of humanity from someone who is well-regarded as frigid and unemotional, is against the grain of who he was. These characters have duality, and that's such an achievement. Something that I appreciate about this entire book and a testament to Leah's writing is that no character on this team feels wasted. It feels like everybody has a purpose and they're doing their job that they're supposed to be doing, whether it's as nuanced as, say, Polaris or Rachel, or maybe a little more one-note slash laid-back, like... Uh, iBoy, who I'm still very much enjoying. He just doesn't. He just seems like a very chill guy. He doesn't really seem to be want to like involved in any of the drama. He's out here for the drama. He's out here to make friends. He's just here to win this competition. And it just it's just kind of refreshing to see nobody as filler, where everybody has their role and everybody has a job and everybody feels important, as opposed to other teams where a lot of characters got the back burner to allow more popular characters to get that screen time. We were just saying that New Mutants is essentially the Ileana show or 80 other people, depending on the issue. So it is an interesting note that the contrast is X-Factor, where everybody gets panel time. I do like that a lot. I do have to kind of disagree about iBoy. I'm still not quite sure what his purpose is other than to see through things on the team. He just kind of seems like that silent guy in the background to me. Well, by that measure, Prodigy isn't getting much until this issue, in my opinion, with his connection to Sophia. I don't think that Prodigy is necessarily getting story time either, but at least artistically, iBoy and Prodigy still get showcased. It's not like, it's not like they're, they're invisible from the team so i appreciate that we just discussed two episodes ago what what even the cast of new mutants is anymore and i feel like the the division of time even in the first volume of the most recent new mutants it was very easy to forget the whole roster i at least remember seeing prodigy i remember seeing iboy and i i it makes me hopeful that there will be more to come and i wonder if that has to do with the daringness of baldion's art versus, and that is not to say anything negative about the stunning early work on New Mutants Volume 1 by Rod Race. Absolutely not a bad word to be said there, but those were further extrapolations of existing looks and updating earlier visuals, whereas David Baldion's interpretation of these characters often relies on sort of a deforming of the image there is you know bringing up project runway great let's go there for a moment there's kind of a fashion model style about these characters and it's so interesting because we're talking how heavily substantive this book is right maddie you made a comment that you feel like well finally this issue prodigy's getting a little bit more panel time and we're commenting that either iBoy feels like he's getting it or not but guys we're only three issues into this series I think we have a total cumulative page count of something like 75 pages at this point I think that we're able to say in 75 pages that people were shortchanged and are now getting highlighted or have come to fulfill a specific role in the cast dynamic I think we can speak to the heart of this book blending feelings and concept with 
the visuals of it. Now, Nathan, I know you're not on every week, so you've missed some conversations here and there, but I kind of feel like no book reads or looks like X Factor does. What's your Oh, no, on? definitely I would agree with that. Even even iBoy, like the few little moments that he's had have been very in character, you know, where he's kind of like the, the over-eager kind of guy trying to really make an impression, trying to prove his point. But yeah, no, no, definitely it, the moments, the little moments that everybody's getting in X Factor, uh, I wish we would get New Mutants because it's got some of my favorite characters like Love Karma, right? But she, like, probably in the whole 12 issues so far has maybe had, like, two good moments out of the whole thing. And I'm like, why is she even in the cast kind of thing? And, you know, like, so one of the things I've really been thinking about is the way that these trades are being collected. You know, volume one of Dawn of X, volume two of Dawn of X, where the first six were just like one through six of everything. And the pandemic certainly affected shipping, which ultimately changed the contents of a number of those volume trades. But especially with books like New Mutants having such a diverse cast and X-Factor finding room for so many mutants... I think there is something to be said for the idea of like a roving X line. I would be happy to read like two X trades a month, especially with books like X Factor covering such a breadth of characters. Now, Maddie, I know Shatterstar is one of like literally the most beloved X-Men of all time, especially in queer circles. He represents something really unique to the narrative of X-Men. So was this your first Shatterstar? Yeah, you know, I was going to say this was my first proper Shatterstar. I'm familiar with the cultural interpretation of Shatterstar. I understand that he is he is something of an icon in the LGBTQ circles, um, but I was not familiar at all. But I, I do want to credit Leah Williams for the delicate dance that she did with all of his language. It really showcased that conservatorship role that he plays in, in the mojo verse and not being able to properly speak freely i thought the moment where he responded with you know polaris asks, can you speak freely anymore can't you and he responds in krakoa with no which just goes to show that all mutants not only on krakoa must be receiving the psychic transmission of the Krakoan alphabet, which I think is something that was previously stated to be otherwise but that's entirely off track so no this was my first uh first Shatterstar. and you know it's such an interesting thing because Shatterstar's been a member of the New Mutants sort of kind of for like a hot second and then X-Force for so long and then X-Factor for so long and here he is showing back up and you know Matt you brought up such an important scene that I've been really excited to discuss and I am notoriously negative on the idea of good guy needs to fulfill the role of bad guy for a time for an optics sake like that's not my shit i hate that right and i think i hate it the most in batman right because batman's an inherently dark character you don't need to create dark circumstances to further compound the darkness of batman i think shatterstar's saying i have to sacrifice my freedom to be the gladiator they need is a better take on that idea of noble sacrifice in the face of what culture needs. Like, there's something to be said for the different ways we can self-sacrifice. Speaking of self-sacrifice, 
Does anybody have any predictions as to Sophia's role in all of this? Because it seems like we're collecting members as issues go by. Aurora confirmed to be a member of the book permanently, semi-permanently at least. I believe that Sophia's powers lend themselves very well to the type of work that X-Factor seems to be doing, because part of her wind powers is that she can hear far-off conversations, so she would be really good for espionage sort of work, and I would love to see her get sort of like a Veronica Mars-esque makeover. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Ooh, wow. Holy shit. Prodigy can absorb knowledge and technical skill. iBoy can see through things. Sophia would be able to carry voices to herself. Are they assembling an ultimate senses team? Ooh. I mean, it definitely seems like it. And that Shatterstar has physical perfection and is capable of generating portals. Wow, you know, this... Wow, <laughs> this is like a crazy team. And I I don't know. I'm like pretty mind blown. That's a really, you know, because we all said in an earlier episode, Nathan, I even think it was one of the ones you were on. We discussed that one of the things we're hoping from X Factor is that X Factor serves as mutant rehab. If anybody is, and I know, oh man, where's Josh when you need him? I just want to splice him in here. Josh has spoken about how Heroes in Crisis is a really powerful book because it talks about what heroes would be going through. And anybody who finds it unrealistic has never really dealt with severe depression on that level before. And so for me, in many ways, I kind of hope X Factor provides that for mutants, kind of like an emotional mutant rehab. If this book rehabbed Lorna, for instance, and then Lorna got traded to Hellions, where she could kick ass alongside Quanin as Psylocke. If See, I don't want Leah to give up Rachel under any <laughs> circumstances, so sh she can't be rehabbed and sent off. And she can't give up Prodigy, and David needs to keep drawing Prodigy forever because he makes him so hot. Okay, <laughs> so I'm having trouble picking the characters to rehab and send away, okay? But if this book could have some sort of revolving door of healing mutant scars, healing... It, it's almost like this book is trying to fix event work. It's trying to go in and repair damage done by events to these characters. Ooh. Hmm. Uh, talking about like just like rehab and, and just like the importance of emotions like having i know lorna knows shatterstar from before but just having her be the one to be so concerned you know trying to figure out is he mind controlled you know is he just can't talk it, it just really speaks to where she's trying to heal as a character because of all the trauma and all the possessions and everything that she's been through herself and she serves a unique role, right? Something we've been talking a lot about lately is the concept of the ex-diva. And, you know, it's important to note that many classic actresses, you know, the great dames of the stage, like a Cheetah Rivera and a Sid Charisse, they oftentimes didn't like the term diva because of the negative connotation it brings. But we're using the term diva in an empowering way. We're saying that these are the great forces behind which everybody responds. These are the names that go on the marquees. Now I kind of wonder why comic book titles don't have marquees. I guess that's what a corner box was meant to be. But like, anyway, so, so I wind up in a place where when I think of Polaris, she always plays kind of like a second fiddle role, and that sucks. She's not the real daughter of Magneto, so she's not Wanda. And she's not the real master of magnetism, so she's not Magneto. And she's not really the original classic girl. That's actually Jean. And she's not actually the next added X-Man. That's Mimic. 
and she's always the runner up but in that regard she plays an ancillary role to which what is kind of like the holiest of x families the summers lineage i don't think you can draw a map of the summers family tree without putting a giant box for lorna and in that way lorna connects the magneto tree to the summers tree and you know what Shatterstar plays a really similar role for the unending long shot Dazzler sort of family narrative. And I even see it as she's reaching out to somebody who plays a similar role. You're always a victim of this bigger machination. You know, if we even want to take it a step further, for all that Sinister represents as the virus of the sin of the Summers clan, Mojo is the poison that runs through the Dazzleshot family. And it's so special. Like, there's no way that Leah didn't grow up and David didn't grow up in love with these books because the care they take to respond to the subtlety and nuance of that kind of dynamic and yet still creating something so exciting that Jonah and Maddie, who have the least background, are able to jump right in. And it's just a really fulfilling book. And... I hope it doesn't sound just like fan wank because there are things that I haven't necessarily loved. For instance, I don't know that the pacing always hits my desired count. I sometimes think the scenes would stand better separated at a different rate. For instance, I thought that the time it goes between Dokken and Aurora scenes is occasionally so much. I forget they're in the book. And I don't know if that's a credit to the volume of content in each issue or a pacing concern, but three issues in, it's definitely not a detractor. I will say 11 full pages to get to the Doc and Aurora stuff is a little bit long. Well, and then we got that amazing bonus page. <sighs> what? <laughs> what was What was that? What? Yeah. Fortnite tie-in. <laughs> oh, I that's was... what that is. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Has everybody had a chance to check out the Fortnite issue? You can actually read it for free using Marvel Insider, the issue that has the Donny Cates version of Thor, which, you know, like, I just don't love that they gave him the Nelson hair again, but it's fine, whatever. So, yeah, that, that bonus page definitely happened. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And I loved, I loved how they all, like, came back with the guns. It was just like, I was like, what? Because I had been thinking maybe this was their way of saying, oh, our book is going on pause for a little bit for X of Swords. But no. Can, can I make a slight correction? So, Dawkins compares himself to a Pokemon, and I am a Pokemon aficionado. I have way too much knowledge of Pokemon that uh, is not useful in this light, except for apparently this situation right here. So, well, I'm also going to, let me just be really clear with you guys, loving this man the way I do and laying in bed next to him, the hottest thing in the fucking world is watching him competitively try to get shiny Pokemon. You've never seen anything hotter in your entire life. And this kid aggressively trying to get shiny Pokemon. <laughs> he says Pokemon, a Pokemon with maxed out stats. That just would mean a level 100 Pokemon. No offense, Dokken. That's not that impressive because any Pokemon can reach level 100. And now if you're talking about 
he says genetically perfect like that's talking that's a little more important because pokemon are born with specific values uh every pokemon of the same species will have the same exact stats unless they have different iv values ivs just determine how high that stat can get the max the highest being 31 the lowest being zero um and then you also have ev training is how well do you train your pokemon that they get even more bonuses in certain stats so it's just the phraseology of a Pokemon with maxed out stats, that's not really words you would use for Pokemon. You would say something along the lines of the, sh- the best it can be optimized in the areas that it needs to be. Maxed out stats, that's a little more traditional RPG as opposed to Pokemon, which is an RPG that's not as that doesn't follow the formulas of traditional RPGs. That's just my qualm with that. I want to say, I want to give more credit to Leah as well as the other members of the art team for this but I think with this issue I was pretty shocked all, all throughout it because I wasn't expecting it to be Sophia Windancer and I wasn't expecting to see Shatterstar there as well so those back-to-back twists of things I wasn't expecting I was like huh you know I can confirmly say I was not expecting to ever see Shatterstar nor was I expecting it to be Wind Dancer, but it does make sense. I have no idea if she actually dances, but I feel like Wind Dancer, ballet shoes, it kind of fits to me. That being said, I do think... Oh, and Spiral! Spiral's there, and she has six arms. Spiral is a great <laughs> gift to everyone, and we should always remember that Ricochet Rita loves us. Right. Have any of you guys read uh, the Uncanny Act War? So, you know, the Jenny that's like, I guess she's kind of like Spiral Sage. That's where Jenny comes from, the Uncanny X-Force. The one with like Bishop and the owl thing and all that stuff. Yeah, we um we actually did a special trying to break all of this down at one point. So if anybody wants to dig into the archive sometime in December, we had done a number of episodes just sort of helping people to understand the execution of some of these runs. At some point after the success of the Rick Remender Uncanny X-Force, they took X-Force and they split it into two books. A book that stayed kind of uncanny X-Force-ish, and then a book that became Cable and X-Force to be a little bit more of a traditional X-Force book. The two books ran something like 19 and 17 issues. They culminated in a crossover event, and then it relaunched as a single X-Force, which was maybe not as well received. But that did include Cable constantly cloning his own body and downloading his consciousness into it. Kind of exactly what the Krakoan system is, but not an egg so much as a, a hyper-developmental chamber to create clones. So that's sort of a, a key point in canon in a lot of ways that seems to keep coming back up in an exciting way. Can I just say how depressing the transcripts of the transmissions that Shatterstar was sending out into space were? Um, he had to to encrypt them so that uh, the Mojoverse wouldn't pick up on them. And reading all of that information, it just made me feel so bad for what he and the other mutants are experiencing there. You know, to what Kyle's saying about how depressing the log of Shatterstar's transmissions was, I think it was much more important information than what came after and it wasn't until i reread the issue that i understood why they sandwiched that between the content of the issue and aurora's couch potato report which was charming and definitely a little bit eye-opening to the realities of what the mojo verse is 
And it's important that X Factor was able to find a way to not just be different visually presentation wise, but for this book to represent sort of that counterculture title that the Sienkiewicz New Mutants helped to introduce and the Milligan Alred X-Force Ecstatics helped to continue the grand tradition of, you know, for this to represent that very different book, it needs a tonally different, significant change from the other titles. So many of the other books, as Maddie has been pointing out a lot lately, are so consumed with this idea of the kind of unsettling quiet where all mutants are good guys now, so it's the other people that are bad guys. The Mojoverse presents a very different threat, and so much of what's going on in the other books relates to terror, but everything in this issue related to sadness. And that is a very different vibe than we are seeing anywhere else. Talking about Aurora's report, just the idea of Major Domo having an ASMR channel is just like just like tickles me like crazy like i'm like wait what and then and adam x right adam x being the fifth most popular yes. live streamer in mojoverse that i was like whoa some deep cuts that is an appropriate use of the extreme yes <laughs> <laughs> but what about stacy x <gasps> bring her back i am so uh... And speaking of Bring It Back, this is actually our last proper issue of X-Factor until after Ten of Swords concludes. So in a lot of ways, these three very dense issues have represented the first six months of the X-Factor narrative. Wow. Wow. Last episode, we heard a little bit from contributors Juan and Rod, and they had so many amazing things to say about Empire. We wanted to make sure they had room to say them all. So continuing our new Empire Aftermath Rap Party feature, here is more Rodders and Juan. And we didn't even go over, let's backtrack a little bit, when She-Hulk came back. Like, the thing they were fighting, Mantis took away, uh, they were all about to get destroyed by the possessed She-Hulk. Because the, the fan was using her indestructible body just to beat the crap out of everybody. And Sue was like, Mantis, you could take away my, you know, my feelings, my nervous system. I won't be able to feel anything. And she did it. She took it away. And then she stopped her for a second. And that led thing to tap into, you know, Jennifer Walters' humanity that was still technically in her. And then the Kawadi was like, no, we've got this. We'll take care of her. And they tried to open the Gamma door. And that's when it destroyed them. And then she came back. She holds Jennifer Walters came back. She says she doesn't remember what happened, but she's whole and she's back. And I love that we're going to get an Al Ewing solo of She-Hulk yes. to explain all that. Hopefully, that leads down the line for another She-Hulk solo that we desperately need. Mm. But I'm just glad that we all knew She-Hulk was going to come back, but I'm glad that she's back. Yeah, especially the fact that, you know, we saw the endless potential that's inside of her. We saw her go beast mode in this event. Essentially, she became a gamma bomb. So that was amazing to see and for her to now get her she's going to be the final issue of this whole empire thing it's pretty major so i'm hoping that's going to lead to some stuff for her then we have the moments with raquel and hulkling where she basically lays down everything that she's been manipulating and then while that's going on the empath of the korean scroll child hit everyone out in the the warship so they are all empathizing in this way that they've never had before so captain glory who 
never had a conscience before, who never cared about the people that he killed in battle or anything. And he's like, how can we have done this? How is it that you can manipulate us like this? What was the reason? You promised us this union just to turn around and betray us? Like, what was the point of it all? So while she's going crazy and angry and acting out, she attacks Hulkling, unknowingly ripping off his mask that was basically blocking all of his powers. So Hulkling obviously was like, oh, well, here I come, got all my power back, and just sticks it onto her face, depowers her, throws her in prison, and you know what? Hulkling comes to save the frickin' day. Yeah, he sure does. And I, I want to skip ahead a little bit that I'm really glad that at the end of all this, we do get Hulkling still wanting to be king and wanting to keep the Kree and Scroll alliance together. Because Al Ewing and Dan Slott said, they both said that this event is going to have major outcomes for the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe is not going to be the same. And I was like, the only way that's going to really happen is if obviously somebody dies. No one obviously stayed dead. The only other reason is if this alliance stays. Because the two, the, the biggest war that is going on in the cosmic world is the Kree and Skull War. That's been going on for centuries. Yeah. But now that that's over, that's going to have so many con- like consequences and positives. Mm-hmm. That's going to have so many outcomes. Yeah, because we already saw at the issue number zero in the Fantastic Four Empire time that the end of the war between Kree and the Scroll was actually having a financial impact on the cosmic currency to where, like, they're basically having this bankruptcy of, like, there's money that now has no value to it because there's no one funding wars. There's no one buying weapons. There's no one, you know, dealing in trade anymore because this huge war is over. So I feel like, yeah, that's going to have a major implication on the future landscape of the Marvel Cosmic Universe. And also, it was interesting because in this last issue of Guardians of the Galaxy, they even mentioned the Empire War. So, it's already slowly leaking itself into the Marvel Universe. So, we're going to see where we go from here on um, Rebirth. Or, uh, sorry, not Rebirth. (laughs) Aftermath. Aftermath over here. But actually, those aren't going to be the last issues. Web of Venom Empire. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, in October 28th, um, the last Empire, quote-unquote, Empire time is going to be Web of Venom because <laughs> Null is going to come in and pick up all the little pieces of everything that's happened in the cosmic universe and in the world because it's it's all a shambles right now because of everything that happened, you know? So he's going to come and take advantage of that. So it seems like with Noel basically comes in, the way they're wording it um, and the way it's going to be timed, he's going to come in right after the end of Empire. Mm-hmm. At least a month or two after the event, the last two, which we'll also talk about in the next podcast. So, all in all, great event. I love a lot of the things that happened. The X-Men tie-ins were phenomenal. They were hilarious oh, yes. in their own way. I love that now we have queer space king and queen. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and Carol Danvers <laughs> is an accuser, and she has her own accuser posse. And we still have to figure out what's happening with the hammer and how it's been influencing her. And then we have to see what's going to actually happen with Wiccan's family now is Aunt Raquel going to stay locked up or is she has some other um, Hulkling's family. Well, technically both now. Technically both. They're married. They're married, by the way. So, yeah. I would ask, if you could rate this event from 1 through 10, what would you rate? I would give it a solid 7.5. 
See, 7.5. Okay, I would give it a 7. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed this event. It's honestly one of my favorite events that's happened recently. But, like I said, I think it would have been better with about 10 or 12 issues. Yeah. And it would have been better with a lot of tie-ins that we did yes. not get. Um, And I feel like it was great with continuity. It picked up on a lot of old stuff that had happened way back when the Kree and the Skull was first introduced to Marvel. And then it created and built this new storyline with these young heroes that have been kind of in the silent for a while and gave them their moment to rise to become the heroes that they're supposed to be because they were always promised to be, you know, bigger than they were. A demirug and a king of space. The next generation. The next generation. And here they are finally getting that mantle. So in October 28th, um, the last Empire, quote-unquote Empire tie-in, is going to be Web of Venom because <laughs> no is going to come in and pick up all the little pieces of everything that's happened in the cosmic universe and in the world because it's it's all a shambles right now because of everything that happened you know so he's gonna come and take advantage of that so it seems like what noel basically comes in the way they're wording it um and the way it's gonna be timed he's gonna come in right after the end of empire mm-hmm. at least a month or two after the event the last two which we'll also talk about in the next podcast so all in all great event i love a lot of the things that happened the x-men tie-ins were phenomenal they were hilarious oh, yes. in their own way i love that now we have queer space king queen sure yeah. <laughs> and carol danvers <laughs> is an accuser and she has her own accuser posse and we still have to figure out what's happening with the hammer and how it's been influencing her and then we have to see what's going to actually happen with wiccan's family now is aunt raquel going to stay locked up or is she have some other um hopefully family well technically both now technically they're married they're married by the way so, yeah. I would ask, if you could rate this event from 1 through 10, what would you rate? I would give it a solid 7.5. See, 7.5. Okay, I would give it a 7. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed this event. It's honestly one of my favorite events that's happened recently. But, like I said, I think it would have been better with about 10 or 12 issues. Yeah. And it would have been better with a lot of tie-ins that we did yes. not get. Um, And I feel like it was great with continuity. It picked up on a lot of old stuff that had happened way back back when the Kree and the Skull was first introduced to Marvel, and then it created and built this new storyline with these young heroes that have been kind of in the silent for a while, and gave them their moment to rise to become the heroes that they're supposed to be, because they were always promised to be, you know, bigger than they were. A demirug and a king of space. The next generation. The next generation, and here they are finally getting that mantle. <laughs> So we're saying goodbye to X Factor for a little bit of time, and I can say that I think everybody's going to miss it, but what I'm also hearing is the sentiment of it's going to need to start picking up. It's going to fall victim to the same thing that I think Fallen Angels picked uh, started with, was a really interesting good start, but lost its steam about halfway where it didn't really know what kind of story it was trying to tell. I think the creative team for X-Factor knows what they're trying to tell, but they might just be taking their time to get to it. Whether that's going to pan out for them, we don't know. But I do know that this still is a very interesting book with twists and turns, and is trying to undo the damage of continuity to give these characters the proper characterization that they deserve. And speaking of proper characters who we so rightly deserve, 
Nathan, I want to thank you for coming out again. It is such a blast having you on the show, whether it's having you on directly in the episodes or having you cover some exciting side material. I believe you even have another piece coming up with our awesome fan, Dante. It's just such a blast having you here. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate being on. It's always a great time. Well, and we're going to be hearing a bunch from you, especially as we get closer to the unbelievably anticipated Ten of Swords. But until then, where can everybody find you online? I am online on Twitter at DazzlerAOA. Usually out there churning some crazy poll, asking all the questions nobody else thought to ask. Well, we cannot wait to have you back. And next time, what are we going to be covering, Kyle? Next time, we are covering Marauders number 12 and X-Force number 12. But until then, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That is D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Maddie, where can everybody find you? You can find me over on Instagram at, at the Basely Covetous Man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? If you want to see me perform my own mutant autopsy on the mutant bodies I may or may not have in my closet, you can find that over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? Guys, as always, you can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, all the feeds of this one right here, X is for Podcast, as well as Too Fast, Too Forever, all summer long. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And ladies and gentlemen, it goes without saying, but for those in the back who need to hear it again, Black Lives Matter, Trans Dreams Matter, and you need to vote the selection cycle like your weakest friend's life depends on it, because this time it sure does. Please make sure that your news sources are unbiased, and if they happen to be biased, just make sure it's keeping someone alive, all right? And until we come back, ladies and gentlemen, keep those Krakoan gateways open and those mutant lights lit. Bye. Goodbye.